0: Morning in reverence and in great, great gratitude and thankfulness for you, the most awesome almighty God, would look upon us and set your love upon us and save us. Father, in all knowledge, we thank you that you have revealed all of yourself and all things considering reality that you have determined for us to know in your word. And Father, now we pray according to your power, the work of your Holy Spirit, by your word, you would continually bring us into a place where we know you more and more. Father, may you be glorified in this study, may your people be edified, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, actually, it was interesting, it was almost right, as we say, providential, right? Because we know all things, you know, are controlled of God, and everything that happens, you know, that we can't understand it, is God's will. So we didn't do Bible study last week. And it was interesting because I was going to touch on a subject that was somewhat kind of not related to what we have been talking about for the last few months now. And that is, if you remember, we started out Romans 12, one and two, right? And that is what, what is, what does God ask of us? What is the Christian life? And that was one, right? Once we're saved, we live for Him, Romans 12, one, right? In all righteousness. In Romans 12 2, and he renews our minds according that we may know him. And then we've talked a lot about knowing God. And the main way a lot of people, there's a lot of misperceptions out there about knowing God. There's all these prayer manuals and prayer books out there about uh, getting quiet before God, saying prayers in a certain manner before God, emptying your mind so you can hear from God, all these unbiblical things that supposedly are Christian and truth, but they don't line up with what Scripture says. So we know they're not. As a matter of fact, Scripture itself says all we need to know God is by His Scripture. It's only Scripture. You know, every thought that we have, if it's not in Scripture Yeah, I'm not talking to one plus one is two, okay? But anything that concerns us about life, about reality, about God, about principalities, about powers, about Christ, if it's not in Scripture, we cannot know that it's true. The best we can do is maybe. I don't want to live my life by maybes. Amen? So anyway, we're not just, you know, knowing God and... First of all, I just want to compound this on what we're going to start looking at, starting this week, is the attributes of God. Amen? We finished up looking at what we know. We know God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Right? All the Godhead, all God, one one being, right? One Godhead, but three distinct persons. You know, we talked about that, for instance, with Jesus said that he and the Father would send he, the Holy Ghost, right? It's a person. And we know, we know that we know from Scripture that, of course, the Son has always been, the Holy Spirit's always been, the Father has always been. You know, they weren't, God didn't create the Son and the Holy Spirit, nor God the Father and the Son didn't create the Holy Spirit, right? It's just, they've all, all been. But I want us to look now, and you remember we finished up last time, that now uniquely, the main way God has adopted us and called us to look upon him, right? The main way when we approach him in prayer and everything is our father, our you know our eternal father, but even daddy, right? But also also we want to approach that with full knowledge and that and understanding so we have a good balance, right? We're at the same time, even think when we were little children, you know, we can, you know, our, our first thoughts, right? We could always trust daddy, but we always revered. Daddy, you know, a good daddy, a good, proper, let's say, godly, righteous man who was living for God and everything. We'll magnify that by a thousand, right? And then we get some understanding of God the Father, right? What I wanted to do now is, first of all, letting us know is, I keep wanting to repeat this home. Knowing is not like a lot of these books out there where they try to tell us to. Knowing is becoming more and more acquainted with coming to a point of being absolutely sure of something. Absolutely sure of something. You know, it's no different. You know, they'll say, well, Scripture, we have a head knowledge. That's true, but our head knowledge can come to a point where it's not just head knowledge. But through that head knowledge, we start to have what they call experiential, but it must follow our intellectual understanding of right and we must always base it upon that but it's just an ever continuing growth in our knowledge like I know Shar better than I did five years ago I know her character I know what upsets her what brings her joy I mean to a good extent right but we ever we keep growing in our knowledge of the people we know there's that we can know God. The difference is we never see God. And that's a lot of times where we have a big hang up and where a lot of these uh, whether they're sincere or not, whether they're just ignorant or whether they're, you know, spreading lies of the enemy, they try to come in and have us where we can experience or know God some ways apart from what Scripture says, apart what the scripture says about God. Or things they're saying that God's showing them that are like. Oh, you know, n- yeah, now we're supposed to know something God's never revealed about himself. Never, never has. You know, we just don't want to go there. But if we turn to a few places, we'll we'll look upon this. If you go to Jeremiah chapter nine, see that scripture itself says that we can, and God wants us to know him. To truly know him. But go to Jeremiah nine, and down in verse. starting in verse 23 of Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. See, what he's talking about is not to rest, not to build yourself up or, you know, or, or feel good. You know, we, we shouldn't feel pride. But remember, he always tells us in ways we're going to understand, right? So let it not be in what, uh, you know, our worldly wisdom might be, our intelligence might be, or how strong physically you might think we are, or how much riches we have, or whatever else you want to put on that, but he says, you want to rest on something, you want to stand on something, you want to build yourself up on something and feel secure and strong in something, understand and know me. And then he gives us three great great descriptions of himself there, that, right, he delights in loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. You know, we can always understand, all oh, righteousness and loving kindness. Well, one thing missing today in today's society, right, even in the church, oh don't like talking about that judgment thing, but he does delight in those. But now let's go to the New Testament. And like I said, that word, if you study it out, even look it out, it just means, right, it's steadily growing. You look at that and the root of the word, it's just steadily growing in your understanding and knowledge of God, becoming better and better acquainted with, you know, knowledge of God. Just as we come, the knowledge, you know, we we get to know more and more our spouse, our children, our co-workers, so forth, right? You're just continually growing as you get to know somebody. Well, the book of John, in chapter 17, in the great priestly prayer, remember Jesus is praying for all of us. He says in verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Again, that word know, right? They're becoming more and more acquainted with, right? Becoming more and more assured of, you know, what we know of them, right? And as we look at His attributes, what we attribute to Him, right? His character, you know, His character, the way a person is right? What's, you know, what what's true about God? That's what we want to start looking at today, right? What's true? Who is God? What is God like? How does God describe himself and reveal himself to us? But he says we can, and he invites us to do so. One last place, go to 1 John chapter 5, And I'll get there in just a minute. <laughs> First John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know, right, are assured of that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him, right, be, be assured of, become acquainted, be, ap- be absolutely assured of, right, may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. This is a true God and eternal life. Amen. So you just see there, he constantly, he not only he calls us, right, to know him, he assures us that when we apply ourselves, obviously we can know him. And to a greater, greater extent. Remember another place, you know, when 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 John wrote, John wrote he said. You know, I write to you, children, because you have known the Father. But they they were children in the faith. But in what sense did they know them? They had come to believe. See, so our knowledge starts. And that's what they say when they try to do all this trickery, I call it trickery. And truly, you're right, seducing spirits, doctors, the demons, that's a good word to put on it. But when they try to make you think knowing God is something well, scripture alone, no, it's like the Gnostics of old, right? These people on these false religions and these cults. You can get in there and experience something or know something about God that you just can't find out through scripture. And that would, that would mean scripture's wrong. And we know that's not true. Henceforth, we can discard all the teaching that would be contrary to it. Okay, with saying that, I like a statement that I heard and I kind of, you know, boil it down to a shorter one but it's this you know one uh pastor said right the most important thing about you about me about any of us right is what you think about God everything else is secondary to that because what you think about God is going to direct your everything else in your life your actions <laughs> your, your, your actions, your thoughts toward other people, how you treat, right? The richer and fuller and more correct our understanding of God is, right, the more richer, fuller everything that our, our worship will be, our lifestyles will be, in more and more in accordance with Him, and what's pleasing to Him, but where our views and thoughts, understandings of Him are incorrect right? And it can it can vary in degrees, right? That's going to affect the rest of our walk. It's going to, it just, it does, and it will. <clears throat> so with that, right, the attributes of God define for us who God is, right? He has revealed himself, revealed himself in scripture. And I thought of a lot, there's a lot what people put down for attributes of God. There's a uh, you know, there's the attributes that, you know, he just doesn't give us, you know, like, you know, his, his, uh, you know, his omnipotence, his omniscience. And, and that. I'm not going to try to boil him down to some he shares with us to some extent, you know, like his love. You know, we, we're, we're able to love him that. But we're just going to talk on him, but I thought the one is the most, I believe, the more studying it, because I'm always so impressed and enamored with, like, God's omnipotence and then his omniscience. Right? It's, it's all-knowing. But I think the one that always, I think, that we have, the I think, the hardest time comprehending, I mean, that's the deepest truth, the one to get a hold of first and foremost, his self-existence, his eternality, that he exists in and of himself. He needs nothing. You, know, you don't have to turn there because we are so familiar with it. But think of how the scriptures open up. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was just God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the beginning, that was it. And there was nothing before God. And without God, there'd be nothing Today right? Because, you know, here's the thing, it, it's funny, I watched a few of them, you know, uh, I, I watched a debate just to see, well, what, has anyone here heard of uh, Christopher Hitchens? He's a big-time atheist. Oh, did, 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 is he one that just just died a while ago? Okay. I, I was watching a, a, a debate that he had, you know, I think it, it, it was rather, rather recent, from if I remember what it said on there, maybe they just the recording was recent, they just put it up on YouTube. But it's interesting, he's arguing for that there's no God. You know, what I like is the fatal flaw, the most fatal fundamental flaw in all of that is this all evolutionist and everything else, right? And then there's a certain laws you can't avoid. You need something to create something. Nothing creates nothing. So however they want to do it, however many want of years they want to put on it, however they want to say molecules, atoms, whatever, a big bang, whatever they want to do, what something had to create the something that turned into everything. If there, at some point in time, there was nothing, that means there's always will be nothing. Because you need something to create anything. And when you think about that, that sounds simple, but it's actually very profound. You, you believe philosophers throughout the ages have thought they really got it. That, that's how dumb worldly wisdom is. Let me give you a few examples. How many of you ever heard like someone tries to stump you? Shah uh, gave me a perfect example when she used to work as a waitress years ago. Someone she worked with comes up. Okay, answer this. Who came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, that's supposed to be a difficult question. Well, duh, the chicken. You know, the thing about it is, is we should laugh. I think it's good to laugh if we're ever talking to an evolutionist. Because it gives them an idea of what we think about their position. You know, someone say, well, don't laugh when you're in a debate or you're talking to someone about something that they say something so contrary to God. But when it is stupid and ridiculous, we should. Because we should offend them. If Lord willing it knocks some reality into them. You know, right? Nothing creates nothing. You cannot get something from nothing. And in their view, if there is no God, there's nothing. There be nothing. There be no time. Time, the only concept we have time is because of God. Right? In the beginning, God. And then there was God, no one else, and then that next word, created. He created everything. You know, that's why his self-existent is his power, kind of go hand in hand. So we're going to run across that, and you can't help but think of his his absolute power. There was nothing but God, and then he started to speak, and then everything came into being. It's an amazing thing. Yes, go ahead. yeah so the the world. And yet, yeah it really is. and you know sometimes we can get caught up and that's why we talked about this when apologetics what's the best type of apologetics? I would say you use scripture. You, you might kind of go off for, for a minute or two, maybe expound upon what you just, you know, if you're quoting scripture, sometimes you have to expound on it a little bit so they understand what you're saying, you know, and you don't want to go beyond and try to explain something you don't understand. But once you leave scripture and get into their arguments, you've kind of lost the battle already because the only hope they have, they have, is God using that scripture to open their eyes and soften their heart, Right? You get these evolutionists, they try to somehow say, okay, God created, and then he took his hands off. They deny Genesis. You have to say, do any of those arguments to come true, you have to say there's parts of the Bible that are not true. That the scriptures are not God's word. And create themselves, try to teach us in different ways. They do, but that, that still goes today in, in many I call them cemeteries, but seminaries even. I have talked to some so-called pastors in this very town that are recently at a seminary, and it's shocking what they believe. Because some of them believe the first and foremost thing is teaching pastoral care. And one of the last things is teaching scripture. I, I guarantee you, if you're trying to counsel your flock by something outside of biblical precedence and, and principles... You ain't getting nowhere. You'll get the world to love you, but that's it. You know you 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 you'll deprive know, people. But what I mean by that is, in one way or another, they'll try to. If they try to use any other argument like that, what they're saying is this: Our scriptures were written by men, and they put down what they understood about God, what they thought about God. Okay, the difference in that is this. That means that, no, here's what scriptures are. It's God's revelation of himself that he gave to man. This is what you write about this thing, about me, about sin, whatever. This is what you write. And then they wrote it down according to their personalities, but it's all true. There's not one thing that's not, well, now I have a better understanding. My understanding was off a little bit. They, they, they do teach this. Good way to say Well, you see, uh, you know, you, you know, the Pentateuch is around the first five books Because it was written by at least four different people. I can believe Moses had four scribes yep. <laughs> Nothing contradicts everything. so it's amazing the tricks they'll try to do but it pull upon people and they'll still consider themselves Christians or call themselves Christians Again, I'll say this well, what about maybe they are maybe they are Christians. Maybe they are sincerity is not the issue how, how God will judge them will depend upon where their heart is at, whether they're purposely misleading or not. But it just is what they teach true true or not. Because it's important what you're teaching people about God. It's vitally important. <clears throat> but uh, with that, let's just look at some other scriptures and that that tells us that we under got to understand that. It, it's a hard concept, but just imagine, right? God has always been. I mean, I, I can't exhibit this enough. I had a man, I was in a church, we were, you know, teaching the Bible study there, and the Bible study broke up and come up. Now understand the way this church ran, right? He was on the board of deacons. He was one of our, one of our senior deacons. He comes up, you know something I've always wondered, Howard? You know, well, you know, God created, you know, everything, but who created God. And I nearly laughed, but I was so astounded if this was just some so-called new believer in that, that'd be one thing. This is supposed to be a man who's supposed to be mature in the Lord. I'll tell you, that's a question that should have left us. That's like, you want to talk about elementary principles, I don't even know if that gets up there. Who created God? Well, no one. God's always been. Now we try to figure out, how is it that God's always been? I don't know, I'm not him. <laughs> You're never going to answer that one. But he's always been because, oh, here's what he says about himself. Uh, go to Psalms chapter 90. It's so nice. Remember the opening one. We already talked about that Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Now, yeah, we well, you know that in, in the beginning. Well, uh, Psalms 90, let me get there here. Psalms 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, or, you know, before thou had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. You know, everlasting, everlasting, just another one say, from eternity to eternity. <laughs> we just cannot really grasp. Eternity. I mean, we're going to look. We even have instant mac and cheese, right? We don't want to wait for nothing. Try to grasp eternity. (coughs) Yeah. 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 And that's the other thing you always find these people that try to get out of Scripture. Scripture's always consistent. It is always consistent. Written by, depending on who you think, 39 or 40 people over the course of 2,000 years and nothing agrees, disagrees with another part. It all just flows together. You have people born at different times, different different levels of intelligence, different different backgrounds, everything. And yet, what they say is just always uniformly true. There is nothing else in all the world. The Bible itself is supernatural. You know, we can get it that, but That's just another thing. But just imagine, from everlasting to everlasting, God always has been. He always will be. Right? Go to Psalms 93. And this is just a few. You know, we could look at a lot of other ones, even words that don't, that doesn't always use everlasting. Right, eternal. But I just wanted to look, us to look at some to see the scriptures. He wants us to know this, <laughs> right? But uh, Psalm ninety-three, again in verse two, right? Thy throne is established of old; even that thou art from everlasting and of old, they're right, of eternity, of. Old. <laughs> right? But I want us to look at one other place to go where, this is another thing that's kind of good, right? To, you know, what was Jesus' priestly prayer, right? That they would know thee, Father, and know him whom he has sent, right? The Son. Right? So then it will say, well, you know, this whole thing, we look at the, during the Trinity and that, well, the Son was never created. The Son's always been also, right? The God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they all always been. God, the eternal Godhead, has always been. But go to Micah, and of course, I'm sure we all read Micah all the time, right? But uh, just keep going through there, you know, Hosea, keep going along. And i got to take a minute here, find it again. Uh, if you've gone to Nahum, you've gone too far. It's right before Nahum and right after Jonah. So Micah, chapter 5, again, verse 2. <laughs> Micah 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee, Shall he come right this is a, a, a messianic prophecy right the coming of Jesus Christ, the future coming of Jesus Christ out of thee shall he come forth unto me there, there's another good scripture that talks right the father of the son right <laughs> he's speaking of the son that is to be ruler in Israel okay he's speaking of the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. Now we all know from the Psalms, well, so who's from of old and from everlasting? God. Right? So there's another scripture too. The Son is and always has been God. Right? But unique because the Father is even differentiating between him and the Son. But it's just, it's it's so amazing reading those. But you know, to just understand that and I, I can't help this because as I as I was studying for this and especially this morning as I was I was listening, I'd recommend to anyone to just well, and you gotta be ready, have your coffee and everything, but go and look at RC Sproul talking about here's a nice fancy word, a C-A-T, The seity of God. It's another word of saying his self-existence, his self-sufficiency, that he exists in and of himself. He has life in himself. He needs nothing from any outward source. There is no other being that can say that. Every other being, human being, creaturely, angelic, needs needed something to be and needs something to help it keep going on. But not the supreme being. Not the being. Not God. God existing in himself. He needs nothing. He doesn't need us. right? He doesn't need money. He doesn't need life because he has life in himself and he gives life to whoever he chooses. right? It's just so amazing to think of what all, in essence, is there. That's why we, we know it, all his other attributes, and we flow, we get a much better understanding when we understand that he's always been. Right? Why does he know everything? Because he's always been. But it's not just that. He also knows the future because everything's in his will. It's he's a sovereign, right? He created everything. He holds it together by his power. At any moment, if he removed his hand, everything would come undone. Can you imagine seeing water come undone? It would. It's molecules. And that when you think just think about that. There at one time. There was no water. It's because I'm just thinking that at one time there were no rocks. At one time, right, there was no people. There was no animals. Right? He created everything. There was no stars to look up at, plants to look up at. There was God. And then he started to speak. He started to exert his power. Right? Yeah, go ahead. You know, let's go to you know one of my favorite books, but it's not really one of my favorite books necessarily for what most people like it for, and that's study in end times. It's for, it gives us so many descriptions of who our God and who our Lord is. But go to Revelation chapter 4, and we'll see, I'm going to this one thing, and maybe it's just me, but you, you, we'll all experience this at different times, and we'll continue to experience things like it. But, you know, maybe it's just me. (laughs) I know it's not, but, right? As you read through scripture, do you remember times, maybe you can't remember one specifically, I'm going to try to stir up your memories, where, you know, though it's something you have read before, many, many times probably, and you, you knew and you believed, but then at one point, all of a sudden, you got it. Whatever truth it is becomes so much richer to you, so much fuller to you. Just sparks like this joy and this richness in you that you never experienced while considering that part of Scripture before. And as we grow in this, that's what we're talking about growing in our knowledge of God is. The more we grow in Him, the more and more we'll experience things like that. And one thing that I think people... Move, start moving away from scripture is, you know, it doesn't happen like that. And they might just think, "Well, I know all this, you know. But no, you, you, you can't. I, I'll guarantee, I'm not trying to bring my myself on my back, but that's my wife. I read a lot of scripture. I, I, I'll tell you, a lot of times I can be talking one thing and all of a sudden, I, I, I see in my my head how, it, how five or six or seven other things relate together and I'll start talking about them all and then pretty soon I forgot what I was talking about over here. But I mean, I know Scripture, but I'll guarantee you on that. When I was studying this, it woke up my, it stirred me up a lot. It got me to really think a lot deeper about this issue of the eternality of God. You know, but when we're reading Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4, and I'll just start reading in 8 through 11. Let's just, just read there, right? And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they are full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Is that anything talk about his internality? Right? He is, he was, he is to come. That's another way of saying it there also, you know, we'll get into that later, but the holiness of God, but And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever. You notice he keeps saying that. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know, that, that's an amazing statement when you think of that. Because all things, do think of that? I mean all things. You're of all the heavens, the heavenly realm, angels, principalities, powers. You know, when they talk about spiritual wickedness in high places, there is nothing. I'll tell you, sometimes our thinking gets off when you use phrases that we don't really think out that really aren't scriptural. All oh, the battle of good and evil. I'll guarantee you, God's won. There's been no battle. I mean, even even, what, even the fall was according to his good plan and purpose. He created us in the beginning. It's not like, wow, I didn't see that one coming. Right? He, he, he purposed the perfect, you know, the death of Christ for our sins, right? He's waiting for that moment in time. They decide, now. Now. Now, I'm going to act. He does it in his perfect timing, right? But he's always been, and everything's created for his pleasure. Now, I want to make one stipulated note. Let's not think of pleasure as we think of pleasure a lot of times. It doesn't always mean he delights in, right? Because we know he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. But his pleasure, his purpose, his will... You know, because he's glorified in judgment, just as he is in salvation, right? He's glorified in deliverance, just as he is in pouring out his wrath, Remember, right? Because he is holy, he is pure, he is true, he is truth, right? He is sinless, he hates sin, you know, and you can go on and on and on, right? All these attributes of him need to be taken in, but the main one, he's always been. Another thing about that that's good, he changes not, His character has always been the same from the very beginning, from of old, from of everlasting. And his character will be that way forever. You know, like a question, we were talking about a a brother we both know, but that I haven't seen for years myself. But anyway, I remember I ran into him. He was doing a thing at a street fair. He said, can you name some things God can't do? And yeah, I just said, well, okay, I'll bite what? God cannot lie. Yeah, I just want to mention, he's eternally, but that eternally stays the same. So we know every promise in Scripture is yes and amen. Everything in Scripture is true. He cannot lie. He cannot deceive. It's not that he flips a coin. He chooses not to lie, like we choose not to lie or we choose to tell the truth. He cannot lie because it would be against his eternal character. He's eternally truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. But another place, go to Revelation 10. And in Revelation 10, where does the time go? In Revelation chapter 10 in verse 6, you know, God's, you know, he's pouring out his wrath, you know, judgment has begun, right? In verse 6 of chapter 10 of Revelation. Well, I'll start in verse 5, so he, you know, said, And the angels I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever. And God's making a point. We can go to Scripture and spend hours here just reading every place that talks about his internality. He wants us to know about it. He proclaims it very loudly. He's always been and always will be. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven... And the things that therein are, and the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Reason about that one there, it talks about that, but something we also need to consider. You know, we talk about, you know, meanings of words, and it's important. Guarantee, when they're trying to change all these meanings of words today in society, what they want to do is dumb everyone down, so in the end people will believe whatever, because there'll be nothing but confusion, and people will be grasping onto something they think is truth. But since we've gotten around we got rid of all word meanings, well, heaven at times it can mean the skies, it can even mean you know the, the, the stars that said that we can see the universe out there, but other times the same exact word, God's abode. And that's what I believe he's talking about here, because in Revelation 14, 17, if, for example, there's other places, but I think this kind of shows what I'm getting at here. In, in, in Revelation 14, 17, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. Same word. Same word as that one we just read in 10, right? He created the heavens, right? He created heaven, right? Which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. The meaning of that is, again, to imagine, right, he created everything. Absolutely everything, right? And we need to get on a note. There was God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And at one time, for however long, there was nothing else. There was God and nothing, for in the beginning, God created. He started to create. You know, we know elsewhere in Scripture, actually before, you know, he created man, the, angel, the angels were just amazed when he created man. So we know he created angels angel before he created us. But does it matter? He created everything. He created absolutely everything. You know, but I want to go another fallacy. People would try to say at some point something's wrong about Scripture. We know that's just not true. We have to settle on that, right? Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We cannot see God. But he provides in creation all the proof there is a, that is a, that a supreme, all-powerful being exists. But when he opens up our eyes and softens our heart and reveals himself to us, we can know him who is true. Amen? But they try to say that at some point, right, there is no God. Right? Now that's saying that at some point there was nothing. They can have their Big Bang. They can have whatever they want. They can go back as far as they want. But the fact, you ever heard, you know, what is, is? That's actually real deep. We're almost out of time, though. but <laughs> The fact there is something now presupposes that there has always been something. Right? It presupposes it, because even science itself knows, and logic dictates, all rational thought dictates that for there to be something to be created, something to come, has to come from something else. Nothing creates nothing. Nothing cannot create something. So however they want to look at it, the fact they have to admit that at some point in time there was nothing, but we know the rest of created order tells us. Our logic tells us. Even we can prove all these things out in science. All the, all the actual laws. Right? Something must be everything we know of had to had its start from something else. There cannot be. Right? There could have never been nothing. Or today there would be nothing. The fact that there is something presupposes there has always been something. And that something is the one supreme being, God, from everlasting to everlasting. And this God has revealed himself to us, given us the truth, has called us to come to know him, has given us faith, has opened up our eyes, has revealed his son to us, has given us salvation, adopted us as children, and he says, I want you to know me. I want you to grow in your knowledge of me and my son. I want you to grow, learn of me, and I've given you everything you need to do it. He's given us his Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. He's given us his word. And he's given us one another. So praise God. We'll get more of this. I could go on, you know, but it's just such an amazing subject. right? Our God, who's always been, now says to us, come to me and you can call me Daddy your father. You can always trust me. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. We give you all blessing, glory, power, and strength for unto you and you alone worship belongs. Oh, we thank you for all you have done for us. We thank you for your salvation. Father, help us what we learn from your scripture By your word, according to your good pleasure, may we be transformed more and more in the image of your Son. May the old man be chiseled away and the new man be built up, that we may be more and more Christ like always. And Father, we ask your blessing upon the upcoming service, Lord. May your word go forth and those that hear be built up, edified, you know, changed. If any lost hear it, Lord, may you use the word. Preach today to reveal your son to them. In Jesus' name, amen.